What would you do if everyone said they heard your trailer a hundred times? You'd probably make a new one. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, The Ringer's first ever true crime pod. We've been hunting a con man for a few weeks now, and our hunt is coming to an end. Schemes, heartbreak, how to put on a wire. We've covered all this and more, but there are still a few surprises left. Binge The Wedding Scammer wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me as always, bright and early on this Sunday morning, unlike other podcasters out there, Rob Mahoney, (laughs) Big Waz. Rob, how are you this weekend? Bill different, clearly. <laughs> We're out here grinding away when no one else is grinding. Unseen hours, hashtag. Like, I'm I'm feeling good about all the work that we put in to improve our games because I know it's going to pay off in the end. When, we, when playoff time comes, we're going to be ready. Other people are going to be running into the wall. We're running straight through it. I'm out here just feeling energized by yesterday's college playoff outcome <laughs> with the conference championship games. Are you? I want to say hook em horns. My man yeah, Rob Mahoney is a longhorn, even though he did not watch the game and did no. not know that his team made it no. to the playoffs. <laughs> could, could not be bothered for that. But hook yeah, him before, nonetheless. Before the show, we had, to, we had to explain college football to Rob. <laughs> to Rob Mahoney, native Texan. So a first down is like, we really had to bring it down, but I feel like I have a good understanding of both football and the larger college football apparatus at this point. So thank you both. Just so you guys know, it'd be like if I didn't eat pizza, you know, or bagels. It's like, what in the world is going on with Rob Mahoney? It's amazing when I'm back in Texas and the small talk everywhere is, oh, did you see the Cowboys game? Oh, did you see the Texas game? I'm just like, nope. And the... and the small talk just goes right off a cliff. There's just there's just 10 minutes of silence after that. No one knows what to make of it. Are there literal how about them boys sort of conversations or salutations? Oh, of course. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just That's generally beautiful. thinking and talking about the Cowboys. The good thing is, like, if you've seen Better Call Saul, you know this. But if you just give a kind of ambiguous response, people can't tell you didn't watch the game. Like, I couldn't believe it. 
Man, that coach again. That's what I started to do with UConn, too, as I slowly dripped into the the NBA and drifted away from uh, college basketball. I would just give banal responses like, yeah, I know. They really got to play hard this time. So uh, it works out. But the reason why probably you weren't watching college football yesterday, and I wasn't as well, I don't know about Waz, but it's because the slate of NBA games yesterday was was quite choice. I, I believe there were like something like 12 games on the schedule, none on Sunday today. I assume because they needed to reset for the playoffs on Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, Rob is giving a shrug. Yeah. I mean, more of a spotlight on the tournament games coming into Monday and Tuesday, which I'm all for. Let's get a little bit of lead up here. Yeah. So we have convened here on this Sunday, bright and early, once again, unlike other podcasters. <laughs> Jesus uh, Christ. <laughs> uh, in order to kind of make sense of the Western Conference, because unlike the East, where you kind of know who the top dogs are, uh, the West is, is probably 10, 11 deep at this point. Uh, So we're going to break these teams into tiers. We're calling this the Western Conference confidence scale. So we're breaking up based on how much we believe in them. So some teams obviously doing better record wise and statistically, but this is about that gut feeling that like we think these teams are going to be something down the road here. Can I ask a question? Obviously, yes. Believe in them to do what? Hmm. It's ambiguous, you know, because if you just say playoff... Well, well, that's actually just podcasting at a certain point because we put too many restraints on there. There actually isn't a conversation. Um, because if you say like, oh, succeed in the playoffs, then I feel like the teams that are more veteran-laden, the Lakers, et cetera, mm-hmm. would be higher. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to discredit some of the teams that are doing well now over the first 20 games. So it's just more kind of a general belief. You just know? a vibe check. <laughs> yeah, vibe check. Waz, does that check out? Yeah, that checks out for me. And just generally, who could I see? So to me, it's not just can you do I have confidence that they would make noise in the playoffs? I I think what they're doing right now would actually translate. Right. And so that's that's how I view it. Like the Rockets, like, it, <laughs> for instance, they, they, they're probably going to make the playoffs or the play-in of, of, of some sort. But I don't think the combination of their youth and the erratic nature of their half-court offense would translate into much noise, right? No, In, in right. any scenario against any matchup, I don't think that's going to be a problem for a serious playoff team. Now, when you start thinking about New Orleans and the firepower they could amass when healthy, if that's ever even the case, you know, that's a different proposition. But their records wouldn't indicate that they were that much, you know, that far apart. Well, that's right. a good prompt, yes. Justin. Do we want to start from the bottom tier up or do we want to chart like steeple top tier down? What's like the most like- architecturally sound way to do this? I like how we're just doing the pre-show on the podcast now. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We're bringing this the fans behind the recording. Curtain. Yeah, but we talked about the college football playoff for it's 20 BTS. minutes for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I say we started at the top. Okay. Because mm. to me, that dictates how I, I organize everything at the bottom. So I have five tiers. Uh, in, in tier one, I have one team. Yep. I think you, that's right. you have the same thing? I have the same thing. The Denver Nuggets. Okay. That's, that's the only top tier team, right? Yes, Denver Nuggets 
only 14 and seven. They're second in the West here, but have just kind of steamrolled whenever they're engaged. I think actually this is a good segue into just a broader conversation. I thought this exercise was quite difficult in part because the Nuggets, I think gut check wise, deserve their own tier. And I believe in them most and more than some of these teams to come here. Uh, But at the same time, they're seven and six without Jamal Murray. Murray didn't play on both ends of the back-to-back over on Friday and Saturday. I thought they were preserving him on Friday so he just could play on Saturday. But that seems really weird to me that he didn't play in either of those games. But Rob, I mean, when they need to show up, they tend to show up. They do. And it's just a hard team to judge without Jamal Murray because we know how good they are with him. And when he's out, it puts more pressure on Michael Porter Jr. It puts more pressure on Aaron Gordon when he's healthy. He's also out right now, which isn't helping matters. But honestly, I feel like even though they're not blowing teams out and they're not winning every game on their schedule right now with this this kind of group of fill-ins and substitutes, I've been impressed with what we're seeing from the bench guys. And it's not just the young guys. I think we we zeroed in on the Christian Browns and the Peyton Watsons. And don't get me wrong, the Peyton Watson hype meter right now is off the charts. I don't know if you guys saw, but he was the go-to defender for Kevin Durant down the stretch in that game against the Suns. Acclimated pretty well to a to like a prime assignment, but moreover, but is it as high as the hype meter for DeAndre Jordan right now? This is what I'm saying. <laughs> like in terms of the bench, I've been even more impressed by well, at least the, the future bench, Reggie Jackson, hitting shots, playing really well, filling in for Jamal Murray pretty capably. Justin Holiday has come in and filled in for Aaron Gordon and given them good minutes. Obviously, his style fits the way the Nuggets play so well. And yeah, I, I can't believe we're saying his name, but DeAndre Jordan has played really capable backup center minutes and certainly a better option than Zeke Naji, who just has not been that reliable at this stage. And so we know what their starting lineup looks like when all the guys are out there. I think we're getting a better sense of what their bench is going to look like when everything falls back into place. And I'm feeling more optimistic about that than we even were at the start of the season. Yeah, the Jamal Murray thing is definitely something to monitor. In his comeback game against the Rockets, he actually left the game but came back, right? Um, so that he missed the next two games, both both of them being back-to-backs, uh, that, that might be more precautionary than anything. But as Rob said, what's been most encouraging is the bench. Obviously, we know they're top... They're, Starting five, when they play, they're going to sing like a symphony and they're going to blow the doors off of people. But they do need, you know, three extra guys to fill in those key minutes in the playoffs. Regular season, not so much. I think they could be dominant enough that they don't need eight competent guys. But to see Reggie Jackson, who... His Clipper season last year was not a disaster. He was actually pretty good. It's just that when he got to the Nuggets, for whatever reason, he just didn't play well and was not in the playoff rotation, right? And couldn't but shoot. He's playing, he's playing to the level that he did last year, so that's really encouraging. Obviously, my, my guy Christian Brown, I, I think people thought he would make a little bit more of a leap this year, but he still looks good in, in the minutes that he plays, specifically when he's playing with the actual starters. Um, and then, you know, they got to find that eighth guy, whether it be Peyton Watson, whether it be Justin Holiday. You know, I, st- I still hold out hope for Zeke Naji. I-, I just hope he's not the reincarnated Jackson Hayes. But, you know, they, they got to find that eighth guy and there's a decent amount of options. And of course, this Jokic still just bludgeoning everybody in his minutes on the court. Did Jackson Hayes 
pass on from this mortal coil? <laughs> I was going to say. He's out of the rotation now. So Did I miss a new bronze alert? eyes? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you might as well have. <laughs> you no, know, I do think the Reggie Jackson revival tour is probably what's booing the optimism here, despite some of the concerning signs, Murray in particular, just because like wherever they put him, it seems like he's been very good. It's one thing to play well off the bench. It's another thing to pretty much decimate the Clippers scoring 35 points. Oh my God. In an NBA yeah. game against an actual NBA team. Like, I don't care who you're playing. That's an accomplishment regardless. And then also when he's with DJ off the bench, it's like they're Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, uh, like the prime years <laughs> of that backup pick and roll combination. And so, yeah, it's really hard to fault them, even though that there are some little things where I'm like, Ugh, I really hope this works out down the road. Well, the spirit of Lou Williams exists in all former Clippers, as we know. So I'm just happy to see them channel it a little bit. I agree that the Reggie Jackson optimism is a big part of what makes us, what makes their chances to go on another deep run so promising. Like having another rock solid reserve kind of locked into that pecking order is nice. But it's also nice that Nikola Jokic is just destroying people on a nightly basis, orchestrating things so confidently. Like I love the clips that come out of almost every game of him pointing guys into positions in ways that just pick apart the defense. And that you can do that on an every game basis against some of the highest, like the highest level defenses and the most competitive defenders in the NBA. That certainly bodes well for seeing that again on another deep playoff run, especially when the guys making those cuts and making those moves are Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon versus, you know, Julian Strother and, and Justin Holiday. Waz, here's my question. So I think there is a, a question of whether or not Jokic is better this season. And reasonable minds can debate that. I'm honestly wondering whether or not his flopping has ever been better before. Because like he's now <laughs> at the point where you put a hand on him like uh, Sabonis did late in the game last night. And he's just jarring back. And he did it against the Suns as well with Yusuf Nurkic, where he pretty much like tackled Nurkic. They did not call him, but when Nurkic went back at him, he flailed over. And like well, he's on another level being able to process this game right now. Yusuf it's, Nurkic it's, did elbow him in the neck. It's one after. Of those did you see the, what prompted it though? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Nurkic I did. was all over him. It's one of those things where you kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because it's become an internet meme at this point. The amount of scars and bleeding that happens on Jokic's body, his arms in particular. So he's obviously getting hit. He's a physical player, and oftentimes he's initiating that physicality and that contact. So I get it. Like, I, I you know, LeBron went through this for a little while. Before he accentuated the contact, he would just get beat up. Because he was stronger than everybody down there. And if he didn't show that, like, yo, I just got freaking clobbered over the head, the refs might not call. And I think that's what's happening with Jokic right now. He's kind of like, yo, I get it. I'm a physical player, but these dudes are following me. So I'm not mad at it. It's a compliment, by the way. How long until we get a big, like, with a red Sharpie, just, like, marking up their arms during <laughs> halftime, being like, look, look at what they did to Look how they massacred me. But that's a, that's an unfair advantage my boy. for white players. Look how they massacred white, my boy. Black, black guys can't do that. So oh. it'll be a, yeah, that's a performance Rob. answer. This is the real race war. The war, the war between Nikola Jokic and the scars on his arms. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's pivot to tier two now. I have two teams in here. And I think you'll be surprised by my number one team in this tier, which is the Phoenix Suns, who 
I know record-wise haven't been great. <laughs> and obviously trying to find games in which KD and Booker play together is tough enough. Obviously, Bradley Beal hasn't been there. But I am just buoyed in terms of confidence by how good they've looked in the interim. Both KD and Booker, apart from each other, look like top 10 players in the world. I think there's like a legitimate debate, which we're having on the staff right now, of whether or not Booker is even better than KD at this point. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's real like knives and, and like shiving going on right now. Um, but like they've also developed in the interim some credible bench guys. A Kogi looks really good. Nurkic, we should talk about, has provided probably enough uh, in certain matchups, and like then like Goodwin and, and on and on. And so I'm like, I'm starting to believe that if they ever get healthy, or even if Katie and Booker are there long enough, that this is a dangerous team. Rob, I I agree with you. The fact that we haven't seen them play a minute together with their three stars is concerning, but I agree that they've acclimated themselves well, that they've held up their end of the bargain during this time. And in particular, I I want to clear out a moment for us to talk about Kevin Durant and what he's done, especially in the games that Devin Booker has not played, which is he's shown up, put up monster numbers on monster efficiency, carried the Suns, doesn't make any excuses, doesn't throw anyone under the bus. And he didn't sign up for this shit, frankly. And we've seen other stars in similar situations, i.e. James Harden with the Nets during like the Kyrie vaccine saga, where we saw Harden just, he was over the idea of carrying teams of role players by himself when he had signed up to play for a super team. Kevin Durant doesn't do anything like that, just comes in, does his jobs, wins a lot of these games, probably more than they reasonably should given the the talent they have without their stars playing every game. And that, to me, like that's what leadership looks like. And it's not as rah-rah as some other players, but what Kevin Durant has done to prop this team up through what could be the most difficult stretch of its season in terms of injuries, right? If, if Brad Beal comes back and hits the ground running and is able to put the back injury behind him, All this may feel like ancient history by the time we get to March and April, but Kevin Durant has gotten them through it in particular. And obviously when Devin Booker has been out there, he's been sensational too, but I've just been really impressed with the KD only games and how competitive the Suns have been. Yeah. KD absolutely deserves credit for what's going on because oftentimes he is just putting these guys on on his back and carrying the load offensively. Booker... I've I've made a note of his season because many of the questions were coming into this year, who's going to play point guard, who's going to be the table setter, who's going to be the setup man, and Booker has just stepped up into that role. And when he's playing that way, I put him, again, people give me crap for it all the time. I put him with Steph, I put him with Dame. When he's playing in that mode, like he's a more than capable point guard. And again, there's not a single guy in the league who could check him one-on-one. So he's been particularly impressive in that regard. It's just for me, man, as somebody who's really bullish on this team, the fact that Bradley Bill just cannot get on the court and Booker's only played nine games himself and KD at his age and his minute load that we're just going to expect him to play 78 games at this pace it's, it's just tough to think that this is going to last in the way that it's going right now. But when it's on the floor, it looks just as good as I thought it would. It's just the injuries are just scary, man. Yeah, so 7-2 and two with Katie and Booker. I think Booker's played 11 games. But in that sample, 
it's pretty good. And I, I'm also being, I also feel a little bit better about the Nurkic experiment, I guess we'll call it, after games like he had uh, the other night against Denver. I actually don't well, care too much about the 31 points so much as I think long term, the fact that he is able to get in Jokic's way or at least has the girth and the the want to in order to like mess it up with him at the very least allows the Suns to single cover him most of the time. And then you can get guys like a Kogi and KD coming in to swipe down on the ball. They had two blocks from behind on him uh, that I thought were really important. And like the Suns will never win on defense. I don't think if they're going to go far in the playoffs this year, we'll be defensively, but stuff like that, where like they're showing things that will, will bear out and, individual matchups that they need to be competitive in. Like, I think that's actually an interesting data point that like is encouraging me a little bit more than I should be. It definitely is an interesting data point. It's one that's a little harder to parse because Yusuf Nurkic against Denver and against Jokic is a different Yusuf Nurkic than basically against any other team. Like he takes that matchup very, very personally in a way that I agree behooves a Suns Nuggets playoff series and Phoenix's chances in it. I don't know that it makes me all that more confident in how Phoenix holds up against anybody else necessarily. At least how Yusuf Nurkic does. I think, you know, the offense clearly <laughs> is going to be incendiary. And to be fair, their defense has been respectable by and large to this point in the season. They've not been the defensive disaster that some of these other offense first teams have been, which I think is, is a big part of the reason why their their heads are above water right now. I just don't give Yusuf Nurkic like a, a boatload of credit for that necessarily. <laughs> You know why you need to be more respectful of Yusuf Nurkic, Rob? Because you need to watch Portland games (laughs) and watch what's going on over there with the guy that used to be in his position. Uh, True. I I watch those games and I'm like, yeah, oh, Portland, they got got dominating. Come on, give me a break. And so he's filled in quite ably. Obviously, he makes way less money for way... um, for doing just as much, if not more. I, I don't think you could credibly say DeAndre Ayton has had a better season than Yusef Nurkic. No, Ayton's right? been Ayton's been worse. But the reason I don't <laughs> trust Nurkic is because I've seen a lot of Blazers games from past seasons, unfortunately. Well, and Yusef Nurkic's that role therein. <laughs> Nurkic will just like he'll make enough threes. You could trust him to catch a pass when Katie draws the defense. It's just like enough. And honestly, if he it's just enough. played against the Nuggets. Would that be such a bad thing? <laughs> like if you just got by in the season with 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 the backups in there. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just I just find myself gravitating to the Suns, if, in part because like I don't know who else to put in this tier. Like, did you have the Suns in this tier, Rob? I yeah, I agree that they're a second tier team. I took a a broader approach to the second tier, so I'm curious to see who your other lock is, Justin. I have the Kings. And this is another one of those gut feelings where on paper, I get all of the concerns about them defensively. Like, obviously, that's going to be a problem. Um, There could be some recency bias happening here because not only has De'Aaron Fox been playing like an MVP since he came back, but also they beat the Nuggets. And now the Nuggets were on the second end of a back-to-back. They looked tired that entire game. But like, one, Fox is incredible. I think he's legitimate. 9.8 points in the fourth quarter. Uh... I, I know clutch statistics don't really have much long-term impact, but I, I think Fox is going to be the counter perhaps to that whole study because he's once again, leading the league in fourth quarter points. Malik Monk basically flies around the court. Like he's on a Quidditch broom and just makes every single play you need him to make. 
And that plus the continuity that they've had, like I think I was a one who thought that they could upgrade on Harrison Barnes, but when you see the way that they ping the ball around, they make the second pass and then the third pass to find a really good shot off of that. Like, I don't know. There's just enough here where I'm like, I believe in this team than some of the other teams that have been more successful in this regular season. So you have two teams in the second tier and none of them are the Thunder or the Wolves or the the defending Western Conference finalist Lakers. The Warriors, the Clippers, the Mavs, like none of those teams. Are you putting the Kings above all of those other teams in terms of the tiers? I do. And I think think it's just star power and I think it's a lot of Fox. Yeah. Waz, how do you feel about that? So that's what I'm saying. Like De'Aaron Fox this year, you can make the case that he's been as good as anybody at his position. We previously talked about Devin Booker. We're going to talk about Steph Curry and what the Warriors are doing. He's been as good as those guys to start the season. I think that's legitimate. Where it gets a little bit dicier for me in terms of tears is that the Suns have KD too. Right. Um, and then they're going to have Bradley Bill doing stuff around it. What the Kings do on offense is beautiful offense to watch. But when teams are locked in and geared in in the playoffs, they guard those actions pretty well. Uh, eventually, you need more than Fox being able to dismantle a set, a set defense. And that's where I, I kind of stray away from the Kings because I think Fox is going to be excellent. He's going to be all NBA level. Uh, you can't, It's hard to guard him with one person. And, you know, he's he's come into his own as a player. I, I, I'm, I'm of the utmost belief in what he does. I just think, you know, to rely on Malik Monk, you know, even my man Kevin Herter, who obviously, that's my guy, uh, Sabonis, these guys in a playoff matchup, Sasha Vazenkov, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> All of the right. greats. It's, it's, I wonder if they'll be up to the task. I wonder if just their, them running their stuff, right, getting good offense out of their stuff is going to be enough around what Fox does. I wonder about that. Yeah, it, it's a valid question. And it's one I, I would have been curious to see in another playoff matchup. Obviously, we saw them give the Warriors all that they could handle, but I would have loved to see them advance and just like see how another defense tries to tackle the Kings because they do present a lot of challenges. Some of their actions are a little more scoutable and counterable than others. And, you know, you can lock, you can top lock certain shooters. You can take guys out of the game. Fox is the guy that you cannot take out of the game. Yep. And one measure of stardom he has aced this season is the lineups that are De'Aaron Fox and a bunch of bench players. And those lineups kick all kinds of ass. And that's one thing is like, not only can you elevate the Sabonises and the Harrison Barneses, like the other like valuable, like veteran guys on your team, but can you elevate a lineup of all subs and make that viable? And De'Aaron Fox is so good at that because he's such an unstoppable individual scorer and he knows how to play off of that. He knows how to create out of those actions, out of those drives. I don't doubt De'Aaron Fox at all. I just think maybe putting the Kings on that level of a, of a second-tier Western Conference team might be a little bit too much too soon for them right now. I think also I'm wondering if this is a prime candidate to make a very splashy trade because they have all the makings of like, this is our year. And I do wonder if 
they have been on the fence making short-term moves. I think Kevin Herter giving a first-round pick for him was probably the biggest splash that they've made uh, since they've really come to form. I, I do wonder if they're the right team with the right motivation to go out and get, for instance, a Jeremy Grant and just say, like, mm. this is our time. Maybe Murray is hurt. Maybe this is we can take advantage of a window in the Western Conference. I really like Grant for them. I mean, the question comes down to like, what do you give up? Is it picks? Do we think that Keegan Murray long term is an answer here? He's been shooting the ball. He's been a poorly, little di- but- disappointing this, to start the season. I thought he was he was going to break out, particularly the second half of that Warriors series when he when he found himself. I was like, man, this yeah. guy is going to be poised to have a big year. It's been disappointing to start, but. I don't know that you get off of a Keegan Murray to bring in like Jerry and Grant, like Jeremy oh, you need Grant. More Jeremy. Not Jerry and Grant, that's for sure. <laughs> Not Jerry yeah. and I, I remember when Jerry and Grant was was f- former Nick Asset back when we used to play those games. <laughs> Calling young guys assets just because they're young. Um Cole Aldrich, yeah. All the all the greats. <laughs> Yeah, but I, yeah, I I don't disagree. I wonder if there's a way that you could just give contracts and picks and keep Murray. But I do think you need like that defensive pop to be taken more seriously. And but I think they have the means to get there. And honestly, like a a Kings Nuggets Western Conference Finals where it's Jeremy Grant against Aaron Gordon, like that's That'd good shit fun. right there. And in fairness to Keegan. Look, they're going to need him to hit a shot at some point this season. That's and, and he's been dinged up. I'll I'll do acknowledgement to that. I do think he's been much better defensively, and mm. he's the kind of prospect I would not give up on. A guy who we've seen be an ace shooter, especially from the wings and the corners, yeah. who his cuts size, the way he does. Skill, his shooting, he is that massive for is, a wing is, player. Is tough, man. Absolutely. I I I'm betting on Keegan Murray for sure if I'm the Sacramento Kings if I'm anyone who's interested in Kings basketball he is not a guy I would be looking to give up on right now yeah Yeah, and you know Jeremy Grant is the kind of guy who can supplement the shortcomings and emphasis on short with Sabonis right uh this these rangy switchable wings who can you know Although I don't know if he's doing much on help side in Portland, but maybe he could regain that form on defense, right? This sort of defense by committee. You know, uh, we don't have this dominant rim protection, so we do it. We're all in this together. The rebounding duties, the the help side, we're well, all in this together. I don't know and about the I, rebounding duties that's for, what I'm for Jeremy saying. Grant. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that he's enough to buttress the shortcomings on defense. I, I wonder... You know, but you know, to me, he's the kind of player you throw in any playoff series, and he belongs. He's he he should be playing thirty minutes a game in any playoff series, right? And so the Kings would be made better by his presence. I don't know that it necessarily catapults him because this is what I mean. All those things I said about the Kings' offense around what De'Aaron Fox does to me, I'm less trusting of that than the Wolves' ability to stop people. Yes. I think they're going to stop people no matter what, no matter who the opponent is. You know, same for Denver. They're going to stop whoever they're playing. And I and I have a, a real faith and trust in that, um, more so than the Kings offense being able to travel well going forward. Yeah, whatever you may think of the Wolves, I think they've earned a place in this Tier 2 conversation. Yeah. Yes, there are, there are questions about how certain guys will hold up in the playoffs, how certain matchups will play out for them. But they've been so dominant defensively. 
and so good in terms of all of the the kind of 10,000 feet metrics that we use to evaluate teams during the course of a season, I have a really hard time not putting them in the second tier. Yeah, and so this is where the gut check part of this really comes into play here because based on what has happened this season, the Timberwolves absolutely deserve to be in this tier. I'm a total believer in what they have built. The defense is legit, I think. We'll see about Anthony Edwards. A, a little kind of iffy on him. We've talked about this in the past. Obviously, um, just a dynamite talent offensively, but it kind of comes and goes. The decision-making in particular in high-leverage games, I'm like, what's going to happen there? But I'm also a little concerned as I'm thinking too deeply about this, let's just be honest, about the matchups. And I wonder if a lot of our confidence in them is bolstered by what happened during last year's playoffs. And they deserve that. Because yeah. that was a good showing against the Nuggets. The Nuggets themselves outright said that, that the Wolves were probably one of the toughest teams they faced yes. in their the title Lakers. run. <laughs> Better than the Lakers. Um, but I wonder if they're particularly suited for a big matchup like that. And I wonder what's going to happen when they have to get into a shootout with a team like the Kings, like the Suns, maybe even the Warriors, if they ever get their shit together, because this team does not have that kind of firepower. One, their, their three pointers uh, are pretty are close to the bottom of the league. I think they're 25th. Uh, and then like, it's, it's the same old, questions about Rudy Gobert. Like, is he going to be able to do enough offensively to stay on the court? And so maybe that's projecting too far in the distance, but it's tough for me to completely extract that from a conversation of teams that like I believe in, in my gut. So when you say you worry about them in a big matchup, do you mean a big matchup, meaning a good team or a big matchup, meaning like a, like with bigs? No, I actually find more confidence in them against bigger teams than I do uh, against smaller teams that can shoot them. So, up, yeah, off you're the worried floor. about the stretch, the stretch counters. Yes. See, yes. see, to me, against teams like, particularly the Suns, who inevitably in a playoff series is going to try to mid range you to death, I don't have, I'm not scared for the Timberwolves to keep up with that kind of offense. I, I, I'm not really too worried about that. And what I do like about Rudy's season, and it might not translate into the raw numbers, but he just feels more aggressive on offense. The amount of times I've seen him catch the ball, go up and try to dunk it, you know what I mean? No matter who is guarding him when he catches it in the paint, is I think that's very encouraging. And obviously... The only problem with that is like Rudy feeling encouraged and feeling empowered on offense is solely dependent on Mike Conley being on the floor because not pretty much nobody else passes him the ball. But I do like that as far as can he hold up his end of the bargain on offense in a big spot? I, I have more confidence watching him do it with Minnesota more and more and more as the as the season goes on. And so to me, I just have more confidence in Minnesota because I think their defense is going to be dominant. It's not going to be one of those things where like, oh, we're playing Rudy off the floor. Because this is what people need to remember. And I can't believe I've gotten here on Rudy Gobert because I used to be just the biggest hater and the skeptic. The con, the concept of Utah's defense, his last like three seasons was like, Rudy's so good on defense. Let's test that theory and surround him with the worst defensive talent possible. That was, that's literally what they were doing in Utah. And so to be like, oh, Rudy got played off the floor. No, the Utah Jazz were employing subpar defenders at damn near every single position outside of Rudy Gay, um, Rudy Gobert, excuse me. Now in Minnesota, 
you know, my man Tate Frazier called Ant Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, Scotty and Mike. Now he's playing with Scotty and Mike. Okay. <laughs> this is a different defensive proposition, man. Who's who's Towns in, in that setup? Tony Kukoc? I was about <laughs> yeah, to say Corey Blunt. I was going to say Corey Blunt. <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> Too also, some, some due respect to Carl Towns, who I think also no, has set up Rudy good. Gobert pretty well this season. Like, pa- like big yeah, to big yeah. passing has been working yes, well for them. The other thing about Minnesota, too, we, well, we talk all the time about... Can I just say something the- about Towns yeah. just quickly, though? Like, Please. Yeah, Towns deserves a lot of, a lot of credit, but I, I'm just picturing in my head when they're playing a smaller team and guys are trying to lure him into charges and he just gets that <laughs> face where he's just crying about something and like he starts squinting and throwing his hands around like he just ate like a handful of jalapenos and I'm just like I just can't shake that like I, I know it's like not deserved they've been very good but like the town's effect just like weighs on my soul way more than than it probably should the fact that that's where your head goes makes me want to watch you do some kind of hot pepper challenge I, I need you to do hot ones I need you to just like how's a habanero whatever it is Justin for your individual like heat tolerance level I need to see it I can't do it like I can't get past like the the starter pack because I, I can't handle heat <laughs> You're like I give five Scovels. Heat. You get out the heat. Come on. Get this guy out of here. <laughs> but, you know, we talk all the time about Minnesota's defense, and rightly so. Like, Jaden McDaniels, when he's played, has been unbelievable. Rudy Gobert's been great. Here's the thing about this conversation. When De'Aaron Fox, like, since De'Aaron Fox has been back in the lineup for Sacramento, they've had the 10th best offense. Pretty low by King standards. Yeah. Minnesota, over the course of this whole season, is the 12th best offense. So, like, they've been almost as successful at what the Kings do best as the Kings. I will say, small sample, because when I looked at this yesterday, they were 18th. <laughs> so, and then they just beat up uh, on... The Hornets, yeah. The, on the Hornets last night, yeah. yeah. Um, so you would have them clearly in your second Absolutely. tier. Absolutely. I think they've got to be. Yeah. If the Phoenix Suns are in the second tier, to me, you have to put Minnesota in that second tier. Okay. And you guys would oh. also probably have Oklahoma City, I assume. Without a freaking doubt. Why, how are so they not? This is one we're going to have to talk through because I'm probably I, wrong. I, like, I, look, I know it. But <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. Like, top five offense, top five defense. I think they yep. have the second best net rating in the NBA as we're recording this on Sunday morning. I understand that they're a really good team. It's some, I guess it's just like the young player thing they're that just I just too can't young. accept. They, they, they're too young. Yeah. Nobody on this team, aside from uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which matters, and Lou Dort, too, was in that same series, but... You have to actually play in the real playoffs before I'm like, you know what? I have the confidence that you're going to go up against a veteran-laden, very poised, very dialed-in on execution outfit and come out on top. Like, it takes going through it to understand the level of focus you need to have possession by possession. Like, it's not about stringing together a nice seven minute stretch of focus and competence and confidence. Like it's literally 48 minutes of this in the playoffs and young guys have a hard time doing that for the first time. And that's why I'm just a little bit like, I trust Minnesota, even the Kings, obviously the Suns a lot more 
in that category um, than I do OKC. It's not that I don't think they'll get there eventually. I just, man, I, I, I just think in a playoff series, like, I could see key players picking up two quick fouls, you know, because they were baited into it. I could see guys losing their composure in, in, in certain situations. And so that's why I'm, I'm a little, I'm just hesitant with young guys. I just am. It's ageism. Blatant it ageism is. from it Waz is. and I. Yeah. Reverse ageism. Well, yeah. <laughs> history in the NBA supports your ageism in this case. So I understand yeah. where you're coming from. For me, the fact that Shea has, is taking off in the way that he is, and we've seen him score in ISO against the best of the best in the league. You know, ISO against LeBron, ISO against Steph and Chris Paul, like ISO against star level players, no problem. All, all, all kinds the defensive of greats in the league. <laughs> but it's less about that. Like, he, look, he gets first option defenders every minute of every game. But then in the fourth quarter in overtime, when the stars step up to try to on a switch to try to lock him down, no one can stay in front of him. No one can contest the mid range. No one can like keep him from getting into his little hooks and runners and things. He's tough. And that they have that plus a, like a, a bench that's deep with real NBA players. And they have young players who play like veterans. Say what you will about, you know, Chet picking up some quick fouls in one of these potential playoff games or whatnot. But like that guy is unfazed by pressure, yeah. by big moments, by tough matchups. Casey Wallace, I haven't seen him shrug off like or like sh like shrink away from a single thing this season. Cuts really well, moves really well, obviously defends like a hellhound out there. Like those are young guys I feel comfortable betting on. Hellhound? Yeah. Is that a thing? Sure. I mean, if you Probably. if you believe in the afterlife. Oh wow! Mm. Is that a I, sounds like something out of Stranger Things? Honestly, I mean I it thought, probably I, is too. I, I thought that was just a you know how we got coyotes up here in LA. I thought that was a Texas coyote <laughs> type of thing. I'm like, okay, that must be an animal in Texas. So they call armadillos. Yeah, everything everything is bigger and more more hellacious in Texas, as we know. Yeah, I mean it's crazy too because we're we're com we're recording this coming off of the game where they gave up thirty straight points against the Mavs, and on one hand you'd be like, "Wow, young player, full, uh, young team folding under the pressure." On the other hand, they kind of had some resolve toward the end there, basically withstanding that and still winning that game. So, like, I get that they have kind of a fuck you that almost belies this young player stuff that we're talking about, but. I, there's just something. Maybe it's just the fact that they went into the season and probably still believe that they're not going to make the upgraded move that they probably will need to down the road uh, in order to allow some of these guys, Giddy in particular, to play through some of the mistakes and struggles of this early season, um, which they should. That, that's absolutely the type of player I would take the bet on, at least on the court. Um, but yeah, there's just something about the Thunder. I just I can't break them into the second tier for some reason. I think if the rest of the second tier were more like ironclad teams, I would be with you. But the Phoenix Suns have big questions. Even if you put the Kings in there, they have big questions. We, we just talked through the Wolves and some of our confidence and our apprehensions with that team. I don't see why the Thunder are any different. Like th so they, you, think the, you think the Thunder legitimately can make the conference finals this year? Yes. Wow. Spicy. I'm not there. You can take the heat. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> So wait, your second tier is who, Rob? It was the Suns, the Wolves, the Thunder. Yes. Okay. To me, it's Was, just the Suns. To me, it's just the Suns and the Wolves. Just okay. the Suns and for the Wolves. me, yeah. And honestly, in my heart of hearts, the Lakers too. <laughs> like, like it's there's something about you know shortening a game to 85 possessions and having LeBron 
on your team that gives me the ultimate confidence, right? No matter what's going on elsewhere, if he's reasonably healthy and he can dictate the terms of every single game, I I feel very confident in those spots. And obviously, we saw what AD was able to do in the playoffs last year. So to me, I still put the Lakers in that second tier, if only because I saw them with a hobbled LeBron go all the way to the conference championship last year. So to me, the Lakers are also in that second tier and I'm very heartened by the news that they're looking to make another move you know if they get DeMar in there and Caruso (laughs) forget about it I'm, I'm putting them second tier with a bullet if they're able to do that kind of move even if they get Zach Levine who let's face it has looked very uninspired this year that's generous. I, I, I believe in <laughs> LeBron's ability to light a fire under his ass, a la J.R. Smith, a la, you know, all these other people we've seen come into LeBron's orbit and take it to another gear. And so I like that I'm hearing from people on the ground with the Lakers that they're tr- trying to be aggressive and they're trying to get more, more talent in there. So if they make that kind of move, watch out, Justin Verrier. I'm starting to think that this is a clutch play where they're trying to (laughs) diminish Levine's value enough so that the Lakers can afford to trade for him. (laughs) I don't think that's like too outside of the realm of possibility. Stranger things have happened. They certainly have. Because he's like at the point where he's like, he's mailing the fuck out of some of these games. And he's so disappointed. I'm one for nine. Yes, he's like his his actual, and, and you know, with a ringer, with a home, with a body language, doctors and police. But he's he's slumping with the shoulders and the you know the puss on his face, and like it's it's gotten untenable. So what, you might be and right the about Bulls that. in these games without him beat the Bucks, <laughs> yeah. beat the Pelicans. We'll talk about the Pelicans. <laughs> we certainly Good will. Lord, that fucking game. I'm I'm okay with the Lakers being kind of grandfathered into this tier based on what we saw from them last season and who we know LeBron to be in particular. They're also about as healthy as they've been in a while right now. Gabe Vincent is still out and Rui Hachimura is kind of on his way back at some precautionary stuff keeping him out. But we're going to get a good look at what the full strength Lakers look like, who they really are. And already the defense has been trending up over the last few weeks in a way that is confidence building and and vital to their chances because this is a team that has to defend at a high level to win. I did think it was interesting watching them match up with the Thunder though because that to me, those were two teams on, I mean, obviously different trajectories in terms of their ages, but the Thunder did not seem very worried about getting beat up by Anthony Davis inside. They were willing to play small. They were willing to play Kenrich Williams at the five, shrug it off because they knew the Lakers couldn't keep up with them scoring. And I'm going to worry about that with the Lakers all season long and even in postseason settings when we know what LeBron can engineer, but this is still not a team with a ton of viable firepower. Yeah, this next one to two week stretch, I think is going to be critical for the Lakers, not only because are they getting some of these guys back 
Jared Vanderbilt, for instance, who hadn't really played all season until recently. And so you start to see like what they actually have when they have the fully formed bench around them. Unfortunately, as the defense and some of the role players trend up, LeBron has been trending down. Like the jacking from three has gotten a little bit more like, oh, like you sure taking that shot? Like he's at 29% over the past five games from three. And so like there's only so much reasonably you can expect from LeBron at this age to carry an entire fucking team to uh, a top four record in the West. But also this is very much a, we're getting close to being able to trade your ass season. And so if, if you Rui Hachimura don't want to like play out your days in Detroit, like let's start to see something now. And so like, I think, and the tournament, I, I'm very curious to see not only LeBron, but some of these other guys in a tournament setting. I'm sure that's probably like a test case for like the viability for some of these guys uh, in this year's playoffs. But yeah, like I, I'm kind of with Waz here. Like I want to put them in the second tier just because like you see what LeBron is able to do when he just turns it on. And it's like, how do you bet against that? I'm I'm okay with that. So so where are we on the second tier overall? Like what what are our consensus teams? Who do we feel comfortable putting in this tier? I came into the season Lakers, Suns, Warriors in yeah, this tier. Out. I've Warriors are out, Wolves are in for me. Okay. So I can't I no can't kings. get thunder I can't get thunder on for either of you guys. Nah. I, I, they gotta, they gotta put it on the floor for me. They gotta put it on, put it. Is, they gotta do it in the playoffs and then do it in the second round. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> they haven't been to the playoffs, but they gotta do it in the playoffs. <laughs> Wait, what this about the Kings? Bullshit. I vote tier three for the Kings. Me too. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident. It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, so my tier three, just to give my own ballot, I have the Wolves, the Thunder, the Lakers, and I have the Mavericks in here as well. Yeah, I think this is a good place for the Mavericks, a team yes. that can go on a 30-0 run, as you alluded to, Justin, and lose. <laughs> yeah, so it's I, perfect I, Mavs shit. I don't really know what to make of them sometimes, and especially, good Lord, I know this is not representative of what this team is when fully healthy, but I spent my Friday night watching the Mavs without Luka lose to the Memphis Grizzlies, and it was just about mm. the grossest performance I've seen all season from any team. Rob, that's dark. You watched the Lucaless Mavs against the Grizzlies on a Friday night. It was horrific. 
<laughs> somehow, whatever you think it is, it was worse. They were worse. So yeah, they have games that uh, will sap all the confidence you have in their supporting cast and their ability to kind of carry their end of the bargain sometimes. And there's always going to be the questions about Luca's usage and his role and his gravity and how much he controls the action. I'm, I'm willing to hear out those arguments. As far as I can tell, he's carrying a lot and lifting a lot and helping a lot of these guys manage to look half decent offensively when otherwise Grant Williams like cannot do a single thing when Luca isn't out there with him. There are all these questions, and that's on their better side of the ball. But the point being, when Luca is playing, they can score with anybody. They can put the fear of God in anybody in a potential playoff matchup, I think. I, the defense is just as, as bad as we expected. And that's going to put them right here in kind of the middle of this playoff pecking order, if not the Western Conference pecking order. Yeah, I, the, the make or miss league nature of the Mavericks is the same as it's ever been. Essentially, when they're making shots, they look pretty good. Uh, you can't really count on, you know, Kyrie at this point. He's not really getting to the line in any meaningful fashion. Like he he's going to generate nice looks, but it's so jump shot and tough shot dependent. Uh, even Tim Hardaway Jr., who I thought is oh. phenomenal. Um at moments this season. It's just, it's so much of Luka creates. If the Mavericks can make some decently open shots, they're going to be tough. If not, you know, it's the same as anything. And so that lack of dynamism, it feels, outside of what Luka does, to me, will still be their limitation. That's why I squarely put them in that tier three, right? Like, I, I wouldn't go into a series against the Thunder or against Sacramento with this Dallas team and be like, oh, they have no shot of winning. Now, I don't feel that way. I think they have a good shot of winning against any of those teams. It's just, I, I, I don't know. It's just something missing from this group. That was a good shout on Tim Hardaway Jr., though, who is truly the make-or-miss king. When he is <laughs> missing, not offering a lot of value, but he's been quite good and quite essential for the Mavs so far in ways yeah, that he's had a great I think season. you could either you could either take as heartening that he's playing well or concerning that they rely on him as that much they as they do. That they rely on that so much, yeah. I will say, probably not to the extent of Jason Kidd, but I am kind of buoyed by the, the Kyrie and Luka figuring things out. Like that pairing seems to at least be good at this point. Like I'm not concerned that they can't coexist. I thought you were going to ask us to say something fucking positive about the team. Like Jason <laughs> Kidd was imploring the media to do at his press conference. Shouts to my man, Tim McMahon, yo, just, just taking the bullets in the press conference. And <laughs> God bless McMahon. He said, well, it's a lot easier this year. <laughs> <laughs> McMahon's been killing yeah. it all season. Like the idea that this is a team that's deserving of a ton of positive coverage. It's, it's absurd. It, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a team with very, very mixed results. And it's been very, very up and down. Probably should cover it like that. What do we think about the... I, I don't even know if it counts as backlash, but there was this Twitter thread going around basically poking holes in, in Luca's just like goatness, I guess. Is that what it was um, doing? Poking holes? Well, well, what would you describe it as? Uh, like using a pencil to try to dent steel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't say I was swayed by many of the arguments. Like just the, the idea that there's Luca, Luca truthers out there. When I watch this guy average damn near 40, 
against a Clippers team with some of the best wing defense alive. Um, you know, going to conference conference championships, a conference championship, I thought they were going to win, by the way. Like, <laughs> watching Luka do that in the biggest moments against some of the best competition and this idea that, like, it's fake is absurd. He's put it on the floor before. He, Luka's not theoretical. He's actually done these things in big moments, in high leverage situations, made big shots, made big passes, actually step up on defense when called upon in certain series. When I think about what he did against the Suns after Devin Book and Chris Paul embarrassed him for a game and a it, half. It takes a lot of calling upon, I will say. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> this it does, season, it does, I mean, it does, it does, it does. This is the thing about that thread in particular is I think there are a, a lot of valid criticisms of Luka Doncic's game, in particular that he has been terrible on defense. Terrible. The complaining about calls, absolutely worthy of discussion and criticism for that. The idea that he's not all he's cracked up to be on offense because of the Mavs' technical free throw percentage, miss me the hell with that. (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, I think overall, it does scratch a certain itch about how Luka doesn't necessarily make these guys better in the way that like a Jokic does. But like, this is the same old heliocentric argument that we don't really need to litigate. Like he's great at a certain style of basketball that might have limits. And so for, I I tend to agree with that, but overall, I mean, you can't really argue with the production and just what he's been able to do. I think it's a totally different style from Jokic. If anything, I would say what Luka does in terms of the kinds of players he enables is maybe more similar to Joel Embiid last season in that yeah. he enables like very limited players. A guy who just sits in the corner. That's to all be they do on offensively. The court. Let's them be on the court. And so if you get the right personnel where those guys are super high-level defenders, now you're cooking with something. The problem is the Mavs have some okay defenders, some disastrous defenders, some young guys they're trying to bring along. Luca, and then just like whatever veterans they've been able to cobble together, the mix hasn't been right. But if you get the right low usage to defense first players, I think that can work. And it did work. Got them to Question the Question for finals. you guys Has Lively surpassed Wembenyama on the rookie of the year scale? <laughs> Maybe not just Definitely yet. Not. I got I gotta do it every Sunday. Sorry, guys. This is every Sunday. I gotta come with it. <laughs> uh, so we're we're all in agreement though with the Mavs, with Luca being an awful NBA player. No, um, with the Mavs being in tier three. Yes, the yes. Mavs are a tier three team. Okay, so tier four, we have to start well, with the is, team. That, is that all that's in tier three? Ooh, I like it. Don't say the Pelicans. Don't I, do it. I'm not. I, I simply could okay. not. Stop. I, <laughs> I find myself giving the Warriors a little benefit of the doubt. Mm. A little bit. And honestly, it's tough. Man. Has less to do with them proving that than the teams that to me are in the fourth tier, the teams we're about to talk about. Those are teams I simply cannot and will not trust until I see it. <laughs> I've seen it with the Warriors. I know what they can do. I've even seen Clay have some better games lately. I've seen Andrew Wiggins have some better games lately. I don't know that they're ever gonna be up at the level of the tier two teams, much less the tier, much less like the Denver Nuggets. But I feel okay putting them on the level of the Mavs. So here's my question that I think is instructive for this conversation. So Andrew Wiggins recently slammed his finger in a car door. Yeah. Allegedly. Oh my God. And my response to this group was, do we think that was intentional? That is where 
we are with the Golden State Warriors right now. As someone who has actually slammed his finger in a car door, nah, you don't do that no shit way. intentionally. It's, it's, no it's extremely and painful. Would Andrew not recommend Wig- it. Andrew Wiggins <coughs> is is deeply aware that he's allowed to just go out and mail it in. He doesn't need to come up with elaborate reasons not to play. He can go out and <laughs> right. play and not play. And so, like, right. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that. And here's what I will say. Out of respect for the for the core three over there, I just cannot put them in a tier with the likes of New Orleans and the fucking Clippers. That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's, it's, you, I just cannot do that. Out of respect for what those guys have accomplished as a as a group, um, and even what I've seen them put on the floor this year in certain moments, like they came out and were like six and two to start the season. Like it just, it's just the injuries, man, have have piled up. And, and the suspensions. The suspensions. And it's just tough. And then, you know, Steve Kerr, who I love, compounding stuff with the Moody situation. I just can't believe that a James Harden-led team, and I mean, he's their leader de facto at this point, um, is at a, is in a tier above Golden State. Oh, I don't have the Clippers in the same tier as the Warriors, by the way. So like, <laughs> I, I, I have no worries about that. I just, it's not only the recent results and we don't have to rehash the argument we've been having for what, four podcasts now, but like now the injury is starting to mount and like Chris Paul, what the fuck is a lower left leg nerve contusion? His nerve is contused. It's contused. (laughs) He's old. That's all that is. He old as hell. (laughs) He old as hell and his legs hurt. In In that case, I'm getting some leg nerve contusions these days. I got all kinds uh, of contused. But then also Gary Payton, who like uh, is a player who means way more than he should for this team to the point where they brought him back for James Wiseman. Like when he left that dicey, game, guys. he could barely walk. Yeah. You know, like that's, he's not coming back. He's going to be gone for some weeks yeah. again, you know? And so it, the, the injury stuff is, is so concerning and dispiriting, man. Cause again, Steph is playing at an extremely high level still. And the fact that they just can't get it together around him is that's it just sucks. And you know, I, I think I've I've been I've been a Kaminga guy. I've I've been a let's let's stick it out with at least one of these freaking young guys. Just at least one, but it might be time to maybe look for a veteran upgrade. What about Caruso for them? Well, yeah, if excellent, could, absolutely. <laughs> he, would be, yeah. he would be sure excellent. It's it's the Every Gary Payton situ, situation because Gary Payton sort of fills that role for them, right? Like a Swiss Army knife defender. He's asked to do the bare minimum on offense and just supercharges them with energy and physicality when he's on the floor. He just ups their athleticism quotient as soon as he steps on the floor because you know at this point, Steph and Clay they're not like out physicality people at this point. And Gary Payton provides that. Caruso is the same. He's going to come in and do that same thing. And I like the idea of playing them both together when Gary Payton comes back, you know? And so, yeah, Caruso would be phenomenal. And I think Kaminga's the type of guy that Chicago can talk themselves into. Oh, it's a part of the rebuild thing, even though he's kind of getting to the point where he got to get paid soon, you know. Um, But yeah, I I really think it is time for them to maybe think about upgrading that. 
Yeah, Caruso would be awesome if they could pull that off. In particular, if you guys saw the end of that Bucks game, the Bulls-Bucks game that the Bulls somehow pulled off without DeRozan or Levine, Caruso's performance down the stretch of that game was like prime Warriors Andre Iguodala level defense, just shutting everything down, being a crucial connector, Obviously, a different physical profile from someone like Iguodala, but we've seen what a guy who flies around like that defensively and can hold up against bigger players in one-on-one matchups. We know what a player like that can do for Golden State. They just need a little more of that. They need a little more juice. They need a, a little more verve, frankly. But how is he German suplexing his cover on defense? Because that's, that is the, the barrier for entry to be Requirement the for the defense. job these days. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see that? Draymond tackle. Good lord. This guy yeah, he's, is he's like, unhinged. He, he's incorrigible, <laughs> Draymond Green. <laughs> Although I have to say, have you seen also who's leading the Warriors in three point percentage? Is it really Draymond? 47.2% from three. Wow. Better than Steph uh, on nine fewer three point attempts, but still, on, Draymond has been on fire from three to seven. It's like, I almost feel like Draymond represents how the world works, it, it, both in the NBA and also, let's be honest, outside of it, where it's like you could be as much of an asshole if you just back it up. With he's, still play, he's still playing very well. Like, he's, he's still a very good player. It's just. Like, just show some ability to rein anything in at all, dude. Yeah, the, it's concerning. The, re- the reason that's a problem is because he's a great player. Yeah. They they can't they, afford they, they this bullshit him. from him. Yeah. I have them in tier four, uh, but you guys are saying let's keep them in three, at least for to or you know three point five or something. It's just uh, <laughs> we we cannot do point five tiers. We cannot do it. <laughs> Put them in the third tier. I yeah. look full acknowledgement. They are currently sitting in eleventh place in the Western Conference. It's crazy, but better than that by point differential. Better than that by precedent. And they have one of the three best basketball players in the world. I, I think that's reason enough to think. You guys have half of the West in tier three right now. Is that not reflective of I what mean, a shit show the Western on Conference is? Tonight basis, like that's what's happening. Well, one team I refuse to put in tier three is your new Orleans Pelicans who I have to say multiple times this season, I've been ready to, to jump in onto the bandwagon. I'm like, there's just too much talent on this goddamn team. And when Ingram and Zion figure it out on certain nights, it's like, Oh, I get it. And the cavalry came the other night. Trey Murphy's finally back. CJ McCollum is finally back. Like, Man, this team is just really, really talented. Jordan Hawkins, heart of a champion, just looking really good on this team. Unfortunately, once again, we, we've started to call this being Fontecchio'd amongst the three of us. Where they have look, we? Oh, I have. Okay. <laughs> okay so <laughs> among the one of us. Where they look incredible for a stretch. You know, they, they beat the Nuggets. They beat the Kings twice in a row, and then they lose twice to the Jazz. And then the other night, everyone comes back. What a what a brilliant homecoming for all of these beautiful young lads. They beat the Spurs next night. Most of those guys aren't playing. Lose to the Bulls. When Zion played in the back-to-back with Ingram, I, I cannot believe in this team ever again this season. There's something just like in the water there. I just, I can't, Rob. I can't do it. 
yeah, I'm, I'm fully open to the idea that all this stuff can work and Zion and Ingram can be great and the supporting cast can be perfectly tuned. All of that, you know, a vision of them ruling the league, certainly possible. I, I am going to need to see it. And I am, I'm done wish casting and projecting into the future and hoping for what the Pelicans can be. They need to be a real, actual, consistent NBA team and they need to be really, actually, consistently healthy to do it. And so, yeah, let's talk in March and April if they've managed to do that. But I, I can't say I anticipate it. So, yeah, this tier for me is teams we just categorically cannot trust until they prove us otherwise. Uh, the Pelicans are example A, 1A, B, C, D, 2. Like, I, I, I'm so done banking on this team to be something that it has not been yet. There's no shape to this team. There's no identity. Like, what is their thing? Is it off? Like, you know, we know the Suns, they're going to come out, try to outscore people, right? We've we've talked about Minnesota's defense. We talked about the Lakers. When they're right, it's their defense. Uh, Nuggets, obviously, it's this generational offense. What's New Orleans' thing? They, they don't have one. There's no identity Injuries? to this team. Injuries <laughs> is the identity. And... The, the biggest indictment of this team, in my opinion, is that Brandon Ingram is their best player. That's their problem. Brandon Ingram, on most nights, even when Zion is out there, is their best guy. And that can't be the best player on a serious team. I'm sorry. I, I, I got love and respect for what Ingram does. He's not of the level of the people we're talking about ahead of New Orleans. Like, obviously, you can't put him with Steph, LeBron, and AD, and KD, and De'Aaron Fox. Like, you can't put him on that tier. And so, and he's their best player. Zion just hasn't been up to it. Um, to start the season... You know, you kind of give him some grace because traditionally it has taken him a few like actual games to get going. But we're we're about to be at game 21. You know, we're 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 a quarter way through the season. The ramp up is over, you know, and we're just not seeing it consistently enough from Zion. And, and to me, uh, I'm just yeah, I'm just off him now. Watch them rattle off seven, eight straight wins because that's the nature oh, of this podcast. They but will. Like, they will. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. off them. Well, they've historically been an incredibly streaky team, even injuries aside. Just like we'll go on binges where they hit every three. We'll go stretches where they can't hit a shot. That's just kind of what this personnel group is. I think the closest thing they have to a thing is overwhelming length and sometimes physicality, depending on what the lineups are. And that's true, especially since CJ McCollum's been out. They've been starting Dyson Daniels at point guard that's a lot. You know, Daniels and Herb Jones and Ingram on the floor together with two real bigs in a lot of these lineups. That's a lot of length and size to contend with. But the best versions of this team have CJ McCollum on the floor, have Jordan Hawkins on the floor, have like a smaller, you know, Jose Alvarado in some lineups on the floor. So you're not going to be that all the time. I think the hope is that you can at least be that across two through four. You know, have, have enough length and really aggressive perimeter defenders that you can take teams out of their stuff. I, I just don't know that it's been enough of an identity for, of late. And some of that has to do with those guys being out of the lineup, your Trey Murphys and whatnot, being out of the lineup and unavailable. And so we haven't really had a chance to see it. But even if it does culminate into the best version of what it can be, is that a contending team? I, there's been stretches of certain seasons to suggest that they can be. I just don't know. If, all that feels like such, such a like distant memory now. Yeah. 
this is a prime candidate for trying to package some of these young guys and finding the perfect version of this team. Like, for instance, Trey Murphy, I am very high on. I think a lot of the league is very high on. How does he fit in with Herb Jones being there? Like, how do you take Herb's defense off the court, but you want to add Murphy's shooting, for instance, especially if you're going to go two bigs? But it's tough to do that because you can't get rid of the depth because they need that depth to sustain them over the course of a regular season. I think Jonas Valanciunas is a prime example of this. Like, how many fake trades have we made bringing Miles Turner to New Orleans? They have the assets in order to just overpay to get a guy who probably fits a little bit better, but Jonas is like carrying them for multiple quarters at a time just by playing bully ball on offense. And it's like, how do you just give that up? Because you need that just to make the play in, let alone the playoffs. And that to me kind of crystallizes the New Orleans experience. It's like they can be so much, but they can't until they just like make it through the season. You know who else could in theory be so much, but they can't seem to make it through. I mean, even some games against some mediocre teams, much less the season, is uh, your and mine, unfortunately, Los Angeles Clippers. Mm. What is this team? A disaster. Uh, you have them in four? You have them in the fourth tier? I do respect, out of respect for the players involved, I have them in tier four. <laughs> no. They deserve their own tier, even like not even within the five tiers. They deserve like tier eight. Here, here's the thing. Since the James Harden trade, they have a point differential of 0.0. <laughs> hilarious. That's really More good. hilarious. <laughs> they have the 25th ranked offense. A team with James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, not just them, Norm Powell, Avica Zubats. How is that a bottom five offense? Basically a bottom five offense. What a disaster. Yeah, I, I I think the biggest part, the biggest flaw in this team right now is that Kawhi is not playing as well as he did before he got injured in the playoffs. He was pretty dominant. He had a dominant stretch before he got, before the knee started bothering him and he had to exit the playoffs again. He just hasn't looked like that this season. And so once Kawhi is not at that level, you're now relying on Paul George to be your go-to sort of score. We know James Harden ain't got it in him to do it anymore, to be that go-to all-encompassing scorer type. And... Uh, even even saying all of that, they should not be twenty fifth ranked. Twenty fifth in on offense, like that's that that just cannot be the case. It's just it's nasty, and the chemistry is just not there. And you know, we thought the solve. Look, when Ty Lue came out and said Russell Westbrook is our leader. That should have tipped us off to something, because what he was saying is that Kawhi Leonard doesn't lead this team. Paul George doesn't lead this team. James Harden has just got here and. You know, that guy's never led anything that wasn't a strip club, you know. And so it's just they, they got a lot of problems as far as a direction to flow through. And yeah, Kawhi Leonard not being himself to me is the main one. Like that's that's problem number one for them. You would think the surrounding talent could lift him up in such a way that he doesn't have to be Superman. But so, so much of what made them great on offense these past three, four years has just been Kawhi's singular dominance. 
And that's not there. And nobody else is there to pick up that slack. If I can raise one point of order, how does one lead a strip club? <laughs> a, lot, a lot of ones, my boy. A lot of ones, my boy. <laughs> Just subsidizing the whole industry. That's right. So, not to, not to go too far into this. So, the, the working theory with trading for James Harden was they thought, like, maybe these guys are getting a little older. It'd be tougher to just, like, rely on Kawhi and Paul George as, like, ISO-dominant guys, right? Over the course of a regular season in particular, right? Like, you get James Harden in there. Like, you you get those guys on the move. The defense is rotating. All of a sudden, that stuff becomes way easier, right? That was the theory? I'm, I'm honestly asking because, More because less, now I'm yeah. just like... I see that at times too, but yeah, it just, it, it isn't enough. Like whatever co- like benefit they got from that, from bringing Harden to do just that, to be orchestrating things, I guess it's just like, has made such a marginal improvement on the offensive product and has just made everything worse because now it just seems like everyone is so morose and like slumping through <laughs> all the other parts of the game. Russell Westbrook, is doing his best. I'll, I got to give him a lot of credit. Russ is doing his best, trying to make the most of this. And like, there are times where he has a legitimate impact on this game, like finding guys uh, in interior, just like like scoop passing it off to the big. But no, this team is nowhere near tier four. I refuse. I mean, that's I've, I I couldn't in good faith defend them or defend their standing in any tier, much less this one. So I'm I'm fine with moving them into their own little uh, liminal space in the. You know, the attic, crawl space, like wherever we want to put them, kind of out of sight and out of mind so polite company doesn't have to interact with them. I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Here's the question, was, and I think this is, is a good time to have this. Do you make the trade again knowing what we've we've known from what, however many games with Harden? Was it like six or so? Absolutely like, would not. Would you still do it? Absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. Because before the trade... The least you could say is that at least everybody who was on the team is being optimized. They're being used to the fullest extent of their talents and capabilities. You cannot say that's the case right now. You can't say James Harden is getting everything out of his game. Russell Westbrook is getting everything out of his game. Kawhi, Paul, like you cannot say that. They've all been diminished by this deal. And so I don't see how you say, yeah, we, we, we should have still did this. Yeah, this is not the outcome you want. But I think it is worth <laughs> so, noting that at the time the Clippers made the trade, the vibes were weird. That team was in a strange place. They were like performing okay, but weren't winning a lot of games they should win. Like some of the, some of the margins were pretty concerning. So I think the process of wanting to shake something loose was right. Did that thing have to be James Harden? Probably not. And maybe that's where you wait out even someone like Malcolm Brogdon, another guard who could have been on the market who wouldn't be like quite so intrusive to the order that you've so carefully kind of cultivated. I, I think something like that might have worked out better, but I can certainly understand why the Clippers looked at the first couple weeks of their season and said, like, this ain't going to work. Yeah. Yeah, I still get the the working theory behind it. Just not only like logistically with how the offense operates, but just also like, did they give up a ton to at least take another swing at it? Like it's a lot of role players that are coming and going in Philly plus some picks. And so 
I don't know. I guess the upside is still there technically, but goddamn, those those games are just slogs to watch. Um, but we should talk before we get out of here about the last team on the list, the Houston Rockets. Rob, you have that, them in their own separate tier. So I guess if we want to put the Clippers in their own tier, then the Rockets are... Or do they share a tier or are they kind of in their I own have space them too? Both in <laughs> tier has five. Justin sharing at the tier five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's tough. The Rockets, we, sh- we should point out, have yet to win a road game this yes. season. They're 0-8. W- the and win a single road game challenge. Please participate, <laughs> Houston Rockets. Yeah, it was the Warriors last year. Now it's the Houston Rockets. Um, and I don't know if you guys caught yesterday's game against the Lakers. Whatever toughness and like whatever Ime and Fred and Dylan Brooks are bringing to the team is slowly starting to slip into goonism. Like there's been a lot of like, let's <laughs> let's throw some arms around going on here. And it's a little too soon in the season for them. Maybe it's just the Lakers mm. matchup. Obviously, Brooks has the the history with LeBron there, but like that game got out of hand at various points. Uh, and I'm a little bit worried long term whether or not like toughness leads to just uh just stuff that we just don't want in the game. Yeah. It's it's a tough line to walk playing with a lot of physicality and a lot of energy and a lot of edge and not crossing that line at times. It's certainly we've talked about something we talk about all the time with Draymond Green in particular, but I think it's even more precarious on the team level. When you're a young team that has never had an identity, this is your first blush of having something you can actually lean lean on. Put your, like hang your hat on saying like this is the kind of team we are. We play physically, we play tough, we get into people, we don't take shit from anybody. And sometimes that does edge into either like physically dangerous territory or you just get out over your skis in terms of projecting a little too much confidence when maybe you you do need to let certain plays come to you. Maybe you do need to reel it in a little bit, especially as a still a primarily young team with some habits that are forming. Like you need to take it easy sometimes. I just don't really trust the Rockets on that stuff yet. I think their season has been incredibly impressive. I think they are going to be in the mix to make the play-in and have a good shot to make it all season long. And I wouldn't count them out because of that edge. I do think that ultimately it serves them well. And ultimately it's going to keep them in a lot of these games against, you know, really good Western Conference teams. All the other teams we've laid out who are kind of above them in the pecking order here. But how can you how can you bet on a team that has a somewhat unreliable offense and cannot win on the road to do much of anything in terms of making noise in a postseason setting? I, I think they're going to be pretty good, but I'm I'm not going to go further than that. Yeah, OKC is blessed with having uh, all first team all NBA guy mixed in with a bunch of young guys. But this is what it looks like when your team is heavily dependent on young dudes. It's going to be inconsistent. It's going to be up and down. What I have, like, particularly from Jalen Green, he's not always in sixth gear now. There's 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 shifts to what he's doing. He's He's been so much more patient this year in picking his spots and recognizing weaknesses and soft spots and defenses. Uh, Jabari Smith's offense is still leaving a lot to be desired. You know, the feel has, has never been there in the best of times, but I, I thought it might be better. You know, uh, this is lesson number 7,000. Don't get too hyped off the summer league. Uh, it just it just hasn't been there this year. But what he's done on defense, the type of season he's put together on that end of the floor, 
should be commended. You know, Shangun takes like 28 shots yesterday because he is their go-to guy now. But this is just what's going to happen over the course of the year when it's all of these young guys still figuring stuff out. As much as we like what Dylan Brooks and Van Vliet bring to the team, these are not stars. These are not innings eaters, possession-wise. These are just very savvy, smart players. Um, but the young guys are going to be the one that have to sort of take the mantle here. And on a night-to-night basis, it's just not going to be there every single time. I'm not discouraged by the road record. I think that obviously the, it's, you know, it's a thousand game season. So eventually they'll win a couple on the road. I just think this is the nature of having such a young team. Shengun week was fun though. We had a good time <laughs> when we anointed him as the next Jokic. He's still really good. <laughs> He's still yes, good. He but just I think not an offense unto himself just yet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, there's a conversation also down the road. I don't think we need to have it now, an hour and 20 minutes into this podcast about some of the young guys and like which ones are keepers and which ones are like yeah. long-term going to fit around Shingun if Shingun has proven that he is the centerpiece of the offense. Also, I'd like to see Amen Thompson play some games uh, and that probably will only make them worse on the court if only because he's a young player uh, who needs the ball in his hands. But yeah, the Rockets kind of are who we kind of thought going into this season where they're better than last year, clearly. And that's something, and they should be proud of that. But like, are they more than a playing team? Most likely not. Yeah, probably not. So, so where, where did we end up here in terms of overall tiers? So we have six tiers or five tiers, I guess. Are the Clippers and the Rockets in one tier or not? Yeah, we'll keep them in the same tier. Okay. Yeah. By my accounting, we've got Denver in the top tier solo. We've got yep. Minnesota, Phoenix, and the Lakers in tier two. Yes. We have OKC because you guys cannot no. listen to or subscribe to objective evidence on the I'm court. I'm like the bouncer at the club. I'm checking IDs. You're not 21. <laughs> You're not getting in. OKC, Sacramento, Dallas, and Golden State in tier three. New Orleans in a tier by itself. And then the Clippers and the Rockets. Two teams with very little in common but somehow ended up at the bottom of our standings in tier five. They're in tier five. They're in T E A R five. <laughs> Little wordplay from Waz on just, just to jumpstart your weekend here. Uh, what's crazy is like the Grizzlies have been an abject disaster this season. Not that far from the play in two. Like we're talking about the, the Rockets and the Clippers being disasters. Like they're not that far away. If injuries start to set in that, like some of these awful, awful teams start to get into the same sort of mix there. But um, that's what the regular season is all about. Finding if awful teams can be slightly better. Uh, that's it for us. We'll be back on Wednesday as we usually are. Uh, Cause we're here every Sunday and Wednesday, every single week. Um, we got some tournament action. To talk about. We have prime placement for the podcast. Tournament games Monday and Tuesday. Nice little break for us to jump in, recap all the tournament actions. I'm really looking forward to it. Tournament action on Wednesday, college football playoffs on a Sunday. Thank you to Jack Sanders. Thank you to Ben Cruz. And hey, if you have a chance, if you're on Instagram, if you're like Rob and you love the socials, uh, follow the Ringer NBA on Instagram. One word, Ringer NBA. You'll love the content. Uh, We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll see you then.